Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. And today we're going to talk about telecommunications issue, but uh, primarily we're going to talk about the ongoing standoff between Comcast, Comcast Cable and the Big Ten Network. Our guests today are State Representative Matt Pierce, who is a visiting lecturer in IU's Department of Telecommunications, and Telecommunications Professor David Waterman. Also, of course, Mary Catherine Carmichael is here. If you have any questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to uh, everybody. Hi, Bob. Hi. Thanks for being here, Matt. Good back. to be here. Having you back again. And David, first time. Nice. Uh, yes. N- nice to have you here. Thank you. Um, this is a, a, an issue, you know, telecommunications, there's so much going on in the world of telecommunications, but I think that uh, in Bloomington in basketball season, there are a lot of people that are, are pretty worked up about the Big Ten network and how it's not available to uh, on the local cable franchise on Comcast. Um, could one or both of you sort of explain what positions the two sides are taking in this? David? Can you? Well, um, uh, the Big Ten network uh, is uh, wants to be carried on a basic tier which is the lowest priced tier on uh, the cable system. And um, the uh, Comcast is interested in carrying uh, the Big Ten network, of course, but they want to put them on a digital tier or they want to put them in a a special sports package. And I I guess in Bloomington, uh, they would want to put them uh, just on what they call their basic digital tier, which uh, costs a little bit extra for people in uh, um, Bloomington, but a significant amount and probably less than half the subscribers um, have it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, part of the controversy, of course, I think is uh, everyone has probably read about is the fees that they're uh, trying to charge. Um, They want a relatively high price um, as... um, cable programming goes to be uh, carried on a basic tier, the BTN does, and uh, Comcast wants to pay them a lot less. They would probably be willing to carry them on a basic tier uh, if they charge a low enough um, price, but as it is, they want to put them on a, um, on a digital premium tier where they can get extra money, and then they'll probably pay them a substantially higher fee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt? I was going to say, I think... I think part of the issue for the Big Ten Network might be, and David, I'd be interested to see if you, you agree with this, I think that they have to have for advertising in order to make maximize their profits from advertisements sold during the games they broadcast, they need to have a, a minimum number of people that have the opportunity to see that game to really attract the advertisers. So I think that's one reason why they want to be down in that basic tier mm-hmm. because they might get some fee that's nice for them from the subscribers, but the big money, I think, is in the advertising yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, this is a controversy that's been going on in cable programming for a long time, is that uh, basically networks want to be carried on the lowest possible uh, cable tier. The average cable network gets about two-thirds of their revenues from uh, advertising. And if you're on a digital tier, advertisers are far less interested, um, and digital tiers are usually relegated to fairly marginal um, networks. So uh, BTN, a big part of their incentive, they want to get on the basic tier because uh, they want to sell advertising. And I think another incentive probably has to do with the universities. Um, they see sports, you know, is a big part of their um, promotion and, and publicity and um, – no um, outreach. Outreach, yeah, and um, so I think that they want their basketball, football, and other games, uh, other things equal, to be as accessible um, as they can. You know, all the time they're looking at the dollar signs too. You know, how much can they get um, to support their programs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the uh, the issue of, of sports being so much outreach can work both ways, as I you found out last week. I think <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I've been, um, you know, from the newspaper perspective, we've been sort of courted by both sides, as I think most media outlets have been. And this started last summer when, before football season, first the uh, Big Ten had a traveling group, Jim Delaney, the commissioner, uh, Rick Greenspan, a bunch of people came into our office to talk about what's happening with this and to give their point of view. And then a little bit later, folks from Comcast came in to give their point of view. 
because I think everybody thought, well, we're at a crucial time here. We're going to get this thing solved by football season. Hmm. And then that didn't happen. But the Comcast people said, hey, don't worry. We'll get it done by basketball season. Then that didn't happen. Now we're two-thirds of the way through basketball. What you know, why haven't they been able to get some kind of an agreement? I mean, I know I'm asking you to sort of speculate and look into a crystal ball, but it seems like that there are a lot of losers in this and not many winners. Well, one thing that I've heard, and I don't know how much truth there is in this, but we'll, I'll just throw this out there. One thing I've heard is that <clears throat> Comcast is, uh, excuse me, <coughs> Comcast is in the process of, as I understand it, trying to put together a joint venture or some kind of deal at the Southeastern Conference. And some people are saying they don't want to have a deal with the Big Ten Network that might set some precedent for what the going rate is or how that deal might work until they get the Southeast Conference deal figured out. And that once that's done, then they'll be free to come back and negotiate with Big Ten. I don't know if that's the case or not. But uh, you know, another rumor I heard was that when the Big Ten Network was putting this channel together, they needed a partner with the capital to really make it go. And they started talking to people. And theoretically, one of them was Comcast. But instead, they decided to go with Fox to kind of be that 50% kind of silent partner that's out there and that perhaps Comcast was kind of annoyed that they didn't get to be, you know, kind of the joint partner in that agreement. And so those are some of the kind of rumors you hear swirling around the, the struggle. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I think that that makes sense that any kind of a deal Comcast or um, any other cable operator makes is going to affect other deals that they can make in the future. So they're always thinking about that. But, of course, the focus is on this um, particular network. And I've actually been pretty surprised that they haven't reached a a deal yet. I mean, it's not uncommon for um, major cable operators, um, uh, you know, to decline carriage of a network for some time, maybe a year or two into their launch. Um, and go into these negotiations. But I've never seen a situation where there's as obviously as much to lose on both sides where a deal hasn't been reached. And um, I, I, it's a defining issue um, for cable television because they, um, uh, you know, the prices of basic cable have been rising mm-hmm. and they sell a package of programs. And um, not everybody is interested in all those programs. There's a lot of very intense interest in sports, Mm -hmm. but um, uh, a lot of people don't watch it. But every time they put a new network on that basic tier, that puts upward pressure on the prices that they have to charge for that basic tier. And so um, that's one reason they want to put it on a um, a specialized um, tier because of that – price pressure. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers today, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We're talking today with telecommunications professor David Waterman and state representative Matt Pierce, who also is a visiting lecturer in IU's Department of Telecommunications. We're talking about the Big Ten Network and, and the standoff with Comcast. Um, David, you've mentioned a couple of things that I want to follow up on. You mentioned the, the, the difference in the dollar amounts. Could you be a little more specific about that? And I don't know how much uh, information you have or are privy to in terms of, you know, if, uh, if they charge, you know, X amount for basic cable or mm-hmm. the Big Ten is asking for uh, – I guess the Big Ten is asking for a high amount for basic cable and, and there would be a different charge for a sports tier. Mm-hmm. And then how does that all sort of aggregate? I mean how, how big a dollars are we talking about? Well, I think it's pretty significant. Um, the basic ca- – I pay um, for our basic cable service. I think it's $48 and you get a collection of like 60 or 70 uh, channels or something like that. And um, I had my research assistant add up all of the fees – that are paid um, on average for those channels, and it comes to something like about uh, $15. And if the Big Ten network uh, were to get $1 per subscriber, I mean, that would be a significant amount of money. And that's uh, been publicized as the amount of money they're asking. They claim it's less, and nobody knows what's going on in these negotiations, but they have been asking for pretty substantial fees. And if you look at the sports... Networks. I mean, ESPN's fee is about three dollars. Um, Fox Sports Network is about a dollar and a half. These are both on the basic service, and 
the fees for sports channels are quite high, and they make up probably 40% of the fees on the uh, basic service. So there's a significant amount of money in, involved here, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell you as a policymaker, when, whenever um, – Back in the old days when I was on the Telecommunications Council in Bloomington, whenever we would complain to the cable company saying your fees are skyrocketing, you know, you're an evil monopoly, you've really got to get this under control, their response is, look, we're being victimized by the programmers. Our subscribers want ESPN. They want all of these new specialized niche services, and we have to pay the big bucks. And so if ESPN goes out and gets a big contract with the NFL, they pass those rights fees costs on to us and programming costs, and sometimes they make us buy a bundle of their channels together. And all that are costs that we, you know, can try to negotiate down, but it's just difficult. So they they like to make you think that the $48, that the programming is what's really driving the cost there. Now, we've just heard that maybe $15 out of that 48 is actually programming costs, but that's the argument they will make every time if you say, why are cable costs increasing they will say it's the programming costs that are driving that. Okay. Mm. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to our, the phones, and Bill is on the line. Bill? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Apropos of what you have been uh, talking about, I have long resented having to buy an entire array of programs in order to get just the one or two that uh, are on the, uh, what do you call it, a tier? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you people don't get that straightened out so that we could buy or pay a fee for whatever station we want to see without having to buy a lot of things that we don't want, uh, I think maybe uh, Congress should step in and impose some kind of direction. All right, Bill. uh, Good comments. And Matt, you're not in Congress, but you're close. Right, <laughs> state legislature. It, so. it, it is a congressional issue because the the cable and these telecommunications services are regulated at the federal level, so the state legislature can't do a whole lot on that. But I can tell you that this issue, which is called a la carte programming for mm-hmm. short, the idea that you could just pick and choose each channel like you would subscribe to magazines and only get what you want and not have to have the other 60 channels or whatever. Because there is research that shows that on average people have like 14 favorite channels. They tend to watch a lot and the rest of it is just kind of out there. So there's been this kind of struggle in Washington where some conservative groups that um, like the idea of being able to not pay MTV or someone who they think is Mm -hmm. providing programming that's not good for their kids, they want to kind of be able to boycott Mm -hmm. them economically. So they like that idea that they could pick and choose. And some national consumer groups say that it would be better for us to choose our 14 channels. The problem that you have is a lot of these channels, these niche services, an example might be C-SPAN, one of my favorites, right? I think if you went all across America and added up how many people actually enjoy C-SPAN enough where they would pay an additional fee, I think what would happen is instead of me paying a quarter for C-SPAN, which might be the fee that, that they pay now through the cable system, I, you might end up paying five bucks, and and a lot of these smaller channels that just kind of sit there that you watch occasionally, I think they could conceivably go by the wayside because they would not have enough of that. They wouldn't be in the package. They wouldn't be getting fees from 100 million people. They might be getting fees from 10 million well, people. Wasn't that the free market? It, it is, but it's one of those things I mean, where, when I buy a cup of coffee, I don't, I don't have to buy three donuts at the same time. <laughs> Right, and I guess what you have to add up is those when you want to occasionally watch that channel out of the sixty that you don't normally watch, do you want to have to go out and subscribe, you know, five bucks for it? Would you be better off? I mean, that's I got to go out and buy the donuts separately. And what, and you know, David, have you seen any um, estimates on if it was just pick your fourteen favorite, what you would end up paying for those fourteen favorites separately? Or well, uh, yeah, some people have done some studies uh, about this. Um, and, of course, we could have a whole program, if not the rest of the day, talking about this a la carte uh, right. issue. It's very controversial. But there are some reasons to think that this really wouldn't solve the problem so well. Um, one is that um, uh, the, uh, the technology for actually offering uh, people any channel that they want, uh, this is actually uh, adds some su- substantial expense for the cable operators. And even if it, it, it didn't um, – we do have this issue of the uh, some relatively marginal networks would be hurt by this. Also, advertising rates, which we were talking about, would fall significantly, I think, for the basic cable networks that, that are there because they would have smaller 
accessible audiences, and their, so their revenues and their quality would be affected. And um, so the bottom line is that it's probably true that the individual prices that would be charged for networks like uh, BTN or um, ESPN or C-SPAN or others would probably be shockingly high to the average person. I've got I've got a follow-up that I want to ask about that, but I want to go back to Bill, who's on, still on the line. Bill, you have any comments or any follow-up? Yes. I don't care about any of their concerns. I just care about mine, and I don't want to have to pay for things that I don't watch. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind paying a premium for something that's uh, really all that good. But I don't see that much difference between television and radio. You certainly don't pay uh, radio stations uh, uh, as a tier. You just get what's offered. And uh, maybe what should be done is something that's done in England. Just charge each uh, uh, television that owner a license fee to to, uh, uh, to listen to the TV. I don't really care about advertising uh, or any of the problems you've mentioned. All I know is I still have this resentment against having to pay for stations that I consider unworthy. I like your uh, style, Bill. Uh, all right, Bill. Thanks a lot for the call. <laughs> all right. Of course, you know, part of the, the issue is that advertising does pay for – pay a lot of the bills. So, all right. I mean, there, there are all, there's different kinds of business models that people approach in telecommunications to make money. And in the end, somebody's got to make some money somewhere. The service is not going to be provided. And so you've just got to figure out how to make that work and balance that against consumer interests as well. I just, I just want to follow up. I know we have a, an email. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I talk to the folks at Comcast, I talk to them about this a la carte. And, of course, they were – we can't do that. You know, the expenses would be this much. And I just, as I hear, you know, you guys talking about it, I, and I understand, I think, all, all the obstacles to it. But has anybody um, offered an idea where there still is a basic tier? And But instead of, of going with a sports tier, you do have a la carte to pick, like, an additional 20 channels, whatever, or 10 or or whatever. So there's, there's a la carte for a small portion – but there still is is a bundled group. Has that been a, anything anybody's discussing? Um, yeah, well, uh, you can wa- look around the country at what the cable operators are doing. And, I mean, in big markets, larger markets like this, like in Chicago, you know, they have a basic package. I don't know if it's that much smaller. And then they have a sports tier. Mm-hmm. And, but you pay extra for the sports tier. But to get the sports tier, you do have to buy the basic right. Um, right. But service. I, but I'm just wondering, if I wanted to buy the basic, which has maybe 45, 50 channels, yeah. not 14, mm-hmm. 45 or 50, and then I want to buy you know, the uh, extra A, but I can go through a menu and say I want these 10. Yeah. Uh, it seems I, like that would be doable. Yeah, I think part of the problem you run into there is the cable companies who have negotiated the deals with these programming services like ESPN – in their agreements, I think they're agreeing to deliver so many potential viewers. And so if they start, you know, then they have to renegotiate their agreement with ESPN because ESPN says we want to make sure that everybody, as many people as possible, have access to us because we're selling advertising. And we want the one time that big game comes on where we might get a high rating, we want to be able to maximize, you know, our ad sales on that. And if, and if we only can reach the people who have chosen on that, like, optional tier, ESPN is one of their choices – then they're going to have less. And so then they're going to have to make up the money they lost on advertising probably through the subscriber fee. So then the subscriber fee to choose that one goes up. Yeah. But, of course, I would imagine ESPN would be on everybody's basic tier. I mean the, certain, the ones that are the most popular are going to be on there. And then, you know, like there, there is a sports tier, but there's also, I think, an arts tier. I mean, there are a lot of different tiers. Why not put all those together and say choose 10 of these? Anyway, it's just my own personal uh, plan to try to solve this problem. <laughs> Mary Catherine? <laughs> I want the chick tier where I don't have to have any of this stuff. I know. <laughs> All right. Here's an email that came in. It says, I've got a great idea. Why don't we return to the thrilling days of yesteryear when Channel 4 and ESPN were carrying the games? Well. Right. And that, that's – and I, I agree. I yearn for the good old days where you just turned on Channel 4 and you got the games. Yeah. And if you had If you had your bunny ears, you know you got them and you mm-hmm. didn't need any intermediaries. But that's an, another – 
whole long story that David could probably tell you a lot about that relates to this migration of sports programming from broadcast or free over-the-air television, as we call it, to um, to pay channels. And you know that's been a whole big, long migration. It's been happening a long time. And where, where are we headed, David? Well, it's been happening since about 1975 or so when cable first achieved significant penetration. And basically um, – What's been happening, particularly in the last 10 years, is digital technology has developed. It's just given the cable operators more and more of an opportunity to efficiently segment their programming into tiers. Okay, so that – and it's basically a way to do what economists call price discriminate, which mm-hmm. is not as terrible as it sounds probably. But it just means that high-value consumers – People who are intensely interested in watching television, you know, will buy all these packages and they'll pay you, you know, a hundred and something dollars a month. And the, but the technology to do all that has been um, developing. Especially, it started in the '70s with cable, which is pay TV, mm-hmm. um, and it has accelerated with the development of digital cable. And so. Now you have all these packages and you pay extra for this and this and this and you just build onto your bill. And what that's done is make it more and more efficient to take things um, uh, for cable operators to show sports programming, which is very lucrative. And they just kind of siphon stuff off of these uh, uh, like Channel 4 because they can't really make that much money on that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the flip side of that is in the good old days when you had broadcast television and all was basically free – you know, there were maybe eight or twelve channels if you were lucky and lived in a place with a lot of lot of TV signals. And so the the games you'd be able to see were pretty limited. Whereas mm-hmm. now, with so many different cable outlets and different people doing sports programming, you can watch a lot more games if if that's what you want to do. Yeah, I, I was just visiting mm-hmm. some uh, some of my wife's relatives over the weekend. They had this new big screen TV, and the only channel that they watch is some sort of. Uh, Extreme sports channel. Like that's all there was. It was kind of amazing to me, but David. But you know, there's uh, one qualification to this that make make people feel – viewers feel a little bit better, which is that, you know, the, the advertising is very important to sports and it's a very lucrative market, the advertising for sports. I mean it's pretty high value. It's uh, heavily male and it's people that have very intense uh, demand for the program. The audience tend to be fairly large. And you get pretty high advertising rates for those people. So there's a very viable model for advertised-supported um, sports programming. And that's illustrated by the fact that the most popular games, the highest demand games, you know, like the Super Bowl and playoffs and all the professional sports and then college stuff, uh, tend to go on to the broadcast networks, which are free. Or, you know, they go on to ESPN, the next tier up. And it's, it's the more obscure games – um, or the more uh, games that attract more obscure fans uh, that really end up on these higher price tiers. Yeah, like I, like I use bowl games this year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. And, and, and keep in mind that what um, I think what got the Big Ten Conference going down this path in the first place is they looked at the networks that were buying the rights to air their games, and they saw them making great profits off advertising, and they thought, why don't we just cut the middleman out of this operation and have our own channel, and then when we have a really high popular you know, high-rated game, we're going to get that windfall of all that advertising, and then we can share that among the schools. And the schools, I understand, in the first year have been guaranteed about $6 million. And uh, a lot of them are using that to start building these new facilities they feel they need. And so I think the schools looked at it and said, this Big Ten channel is our opportunity to cut the middleman out and get the big bucks for ourselves. You know, Matt, earlier in the show, you said that uh, somebody's got to make some money somewhere. And it seems like a lot of people are making a lot of money on this. And I I always think it's interesting to follow the money. So just between the two of you, if you could just maybe give us a laundry list of who makes money off of the telecast of a Big Ten game. I think it might be enlightening. Well, I think the main people that make the money are the people who are actually producing the sports. In professional sports, it's the players. And in college sports, it's the universities. And uh, that's where the really money money ends up. Now, of course, there's money in producing and distributing uh, the sports, and that's what ESPN and BTN and these other channels do. But that's pretty marginal. Um, 
Um, do, do you have any uh, – what percentage might it be? I mean if, if, I, if uh, there's money to be made on a, an IU-Purdue football game mm-hmm. and it's on the Big Ten network, how much does the conf- – I guess it would go to the conference. Yeah. How much would they get compared – to the network for showing the game. What kind of percentage breakdown? Do you have any idea? Well, I ought to know that, but I don't. Oh, I'm okay, sorry. Okay, so, so far we're up to the... <laughs> Maybe so, you'll find out. I don't think we're done. So far we got schools, producers, distributors, the conference, uh, the school yeah. conference, the network. Who else? Right, the cable system that actually they're going to get, uh, you know, some subscriber fees that they collect. And, and, yeah. um, and they may have local insertion advertising where they have the ability to put local ads into that program. So they'll sell some ads as well. Yeah, there's a lot of people on that chain. But I do think the biggest one are the people who are actually putting on the sports events. And if you look at recent history, particularly in professional sports, but increasingly in college sports in the last seven or eight years, they're very lucrative. And there's been a big growth in the amount of money going back um, to these leagues. And um, they're, you know, the... uh, the college sports people have been watching what the <clears throat> professional sports people have been making. And, I mean, they've been really growing their revenues um, hugely. And sports programming is very valuable to cable operators. And uh, they just want to get in on this, and um, that's what's going on. And it's only a matter of time before the high schools start modeling what the colleges are doing in some way. <laughs> right. I'm right. Serious. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's true. Right. Okay. We've uh, hit halftime here on the sports show today. Uh, our topic is the uh, ongoing standoff between Comcast Cable and the Big Ten Network. But, of course, we're branching off into all sorts of things about telecommunications and how uh, – how interesting and complex that whole issue is these days. Our guest, Matt Pierce, a state representative, of course, and also a visiting lecturer in IU's Department of Telecommunications, and David Waterman, who's a professor in telecommunications. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU, Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for IU Bloomington and the City of Bloomington presenting Arts Week 2008, Politics and the Arts. Theaters are busy. At the Ruth Ann Paz, it's the Sudan. Something for three is at the Bloomington Playwrights Project. Vita comes to the IU Auditorium. At the Musical Arts Center, it's the Marriage of Figaro. And it's Oh Lovely Glowworm at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. More about all these at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, State Representative Matt Pierce, who is a visiting lecturer in IU's Department of Telecommunications, and David Waterman, who's a professor in telecommunications. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Now, Mary Catherine, I know you have an email there, but I want to ask you a question first because a lot of this issue really surrounds the people who are um, sort of passionate about sports and people are really mad about it. Comcast often talks about their customers, who I think are a little more like Mary Catherine, who don't necessarily want to pay a lot of extra money for a sports channel. On the other hand, I do because I live with someone. <laughs> you know, my, my husband, are he, for Father's Day, we've got the ultimate mega bonus sports god-awful, I don't know what, that comes into my house. But I never watch it. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. I mean, I'm one of you. So, what's your but, but what, what's your take on this issue? Do you, I mean, who, whose side are you on? <laughs> that was a big yawn. If you didn't recognize that, no, sound. I, you know, 
Well, it's interesting. I think there are a lot of people making a lot of money, and mm-hmm. and so um, whether or not for one year you don't get to watch IU basketball in the comfort of your home, you know, with your Cheetos, and I don't know. I, I guess that's a bad thing, but on the other hand, we've all seemed to survive. I I don't know. I'm yeah. the wrong person to ask. Uh, Matt, I was recently talking to a person who works for Comcast, not really directly involved in this controversy, but I, I said to him, you know, aren't you guys getting hurt? Aren't a lot of people going to the satellite dish or, you know, kind of abandoning you, these diehard fans? And isn't isn't there some need to get this settled so you won't lose any more customers? And they said, well, the truth is that a lot of the diehard sports fans may already be on the satellite because they have NFL package and, mm-hmm. and you know, they can watch every football game on Sunday. And so maybe they're already over there and they you know, and who knows what the truth is, but he was saying we're not really seeing that much erosion. And the other thing I think he said is that these really diehard sports fans who live and die by this stuff, they're probably already getting this sports tier package anyway. So they, you know, they wouldn't be upset if the Big Ten channel is up on that, tier, that sports tier because they probably have it. I think probably people like me would be more annoyed who don't lot, watch a lot of sports in general but likes to follow IU sports. And so mm-hmm. that's— I think you're actually the the main concern. Yeah, and yeah. so, I, I, so I, I don't have the sports package. I don't live and die for games of teams I've never heard of. And, you know, I kind of pay attention to things around playoff time a little bit. But, uh, but I like to watch IU games when they play, whether it's football or, or basketball. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that's, you know, the person that's out there. Yeah. Well, my David. wife's in that category, and um, she's as mad as you could get about all this. <laughs> Every night when there's a Big Ten game, uh, she goes off somewhere to some friend's house or wants me to go take her to some sports bar or something like this. And um, and uh, so uh, and she wanted to switch to the, the dish, you know, and that's a whole issue. We didn't do it. But um, regarding these comments, you know, one thing that's interesting when in a negotiation process – the person who uh, wins the bargain is usually the person who has the least to lose. And and the um, public yeah. – it's interesting to think about the public presentation of both sides is that they don't have that much to lose. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Comcast will say, oh, there's nobody switching to the dish. And uh, you don't expect them to emphasize how much they're losing because then the other side sees, sure. well, OK, then we're going to uh, charge you a higher price than ever. We have a, a – a phone call. We have an email. But, you know, I, I do want to ask before you get off, we get off this topic about the public nature of this argument. Does this seem unusual to you? Oh, that that instead of negotiating behind closed yeah. doors, that they're out doing the PR battle. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah I, I think it's just natural that they would like, I mean, if the Big Ten could have all the cable customers calling in every day and saying, I'm so mad at you, I'm going to cancel service, you don't get this on there, that could freak them out, you know, if they blame the Big Ten network mm-hmm. and um, – or, you know, blame cable. And if the cable guys can convince you that it's just a bunch of greedy, you know, athletic departments in the Big Ten trying to do this too, I, I think that affects the pressure point. So I think they're, they're all trying to apply pressure to one side or the other externally to make them agree with their internal negotiations. Yeah. Okay. All right, here's the email that came in. It says $48 a month for basic cable is, as your tally of $15 for programming fees suggests, the cables company, the cable companies are milking their customers for as much as they can get. That's simple profit maximization. I would like the guests to comment on the ability to get most all the channels a viewer wants or needs over the air. With the transition to digital and high-definition television, the picture clarity is astounding, and all it requires is a little antenna to bring those signals in. I realize that over the air means you won't necessarily be able to receive ESPN and the Discovery Channel or C-SPAN for that matter, but those channels could come over the air if broadcasters would make some of their digital digital bandwidth available to these high-viewer programs like Big Ten Basketball. Um, that's a very good point, and it's one of the best-kept secrets in town. So I'm going to launch into a mini T207 introduction <clears throat> to telecom lecture. Good. Is With this new digital way of broadcasting um, the old analog channels, you know, 6, 8, 13, um, they now can not only send you a great crystal clear high defini- definition signal mm-hmm. if they want, but they can send you some additional programming streams as well, and it's called multicasting. So when we think of Channel 8 as one broadcast station giving us CBS programming, they, they now could maybe send you three or four programs at once. And if you notice when you have new digital TVs, it'll say 8-1 in the corner instead of just 8, and um, I think Channel 30 maybe is already doing two or three program streams. Mm-hmm. So 
this opens up a new avenue of distribution. And the great thing about it, it's true. If you just have an antenna that can pick up that signal, you're going to get all that stuff crystal clear. And so we could move to a model where Channel 8 or CBS might have, you know, Dash 3 could be the CBS all-the-time sports channel. Maybe they will negotiate a deal where they could send it out and you could get over the air. But it's true that people, because of the cable and satellite world we've gone into, people don't think about over-the-air television. Now, you're not going to get ESPN over the air, but you're going to get those broadcast channels and public TV over the air and and potentially some new and interesting program in these multicasts. And so I think people should read up and learn about the antenna because, you know, it's all free off the air. Stuff used to be easy. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We're going to go to the phones now. Frankie, go ahead. Frankie? Uh, yes, uh, I'm interested in your subject today. It's so technical, I have trouble understanding it. But I do know that I'm very disturbed about the loss of basketball, football games. I can't afford the price of the tickets to go to the games, and I really miss it. But I have a all-inclusive package now with Insight for television, a computer, and phone. And I want to know if Comcast doesn't come through with carrying the sports network, what are my options in getting uh, television and and computer and phone? Well, that, that um, is called the bundle or the triple play. And uh-huh. all these telecom companies want to get all their customers to take telephone, cable television, and Internet broadband from them. And so right now the battles tend to be between the cable company and the telephone company. So in some parts of Bloomington right now, AT&T, the phone company, they have a cable service called Uverse, and that Uverse does carry the Big Ten network. So they decided it was in their interest to to um, do that deal with Big Ten. So you could conceivably um, get rid of Comcast and go get that bundle from AT and T, and then you've got if, the computer. And yeah, they do the computer. If, thing if you're as well. in the right part of town, right? If you're in the right part of town, because it's been a very slow rollout, so you have to just kind of check online. I'm north of the stadium. Yeah, I don't know if they're out there yet or not. The only way to know for sure is you can go to AT&T's website, uh-huh. and, and you can put in your zip code or your address and they'll, or your phone number, I think, even if you have phone service with them, and they'll tell you whether or not um, they've got the equipment out there yet to offer that service. You don't know their website, do you? Um, it's www.AT&T? Pro- I think it's probably <laughs> AT&T.com would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate receiving the information. Oh. And I hope uh, that you will continue to try to fight for <laughs> getting the, the, the IU games. All right, Thanks. Frankie. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. All right. Our number is 855-0811, and noon at indiana.edu. Uh, this is a clarification on the earlier uh, email that I read, and I think Matt covered this, but we'll go ahead and read this. It says, digital broadcasting enables a single station to transmit, transmit multiple programs simultaneously. Matt made that point. And it says, conceivably, an ESPN or Big Ten Network game could easily be broadcast over one of those channels and wouldn't require someone to be a cable or satellite subscriber. That's correct technically, and I'll let David then talk about the business side of that because the question is, does ESPN want to have its products sold as one giant package to cable and you know video providers, or do they want to go out and sell individually each program, like each game, to a broadcaster that has one of these multi-channels? And that's kind of a business thing, and I'll let David address how that might work. Well, they probably prefer the model now, which is, um, that, you know, they have certain advertising uh, fees that are coming in about two-thirds of their income. And so they want to be part of a package that maximizes their distribution. And that's going to make them reluctant to, um, you know, participate in the um, multicasting um, in that way. What about pay-per-view? People are using pay-per-view now to see boxing matches and things like that. Why could they could they make these games available on pay-per-view? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, if you look at what the cable operators do, I mean, they have a lot of pay-per-view channels. And uh, but mostly it, it, the pay-per-view is boxing and uh, wrestling and musical events and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And sports just hasn't worked that well on high-priced pay-per-view. I mean, it's very substantial fees for this. And part of it is because of the joint revenues that come from advertising uh, with the sports has made those things work better. And part of it may be people calling up Matt, people like Matt Pierce 
at least in the National Congress, because they have proposed a number of times to try to put the World Series or the mm-hmm. Super Bowl on pay-per-view, which they probably could get a substantial amount of money. And uh, the next day, about eight um, Congress people introduce a bill that outlaws the practice. <laughs> right. Right. The, the business side of it is so interesting because as a viewer, you just say, yeah, why wouldn't Channel 4 want to just buy that one game? And put it on because they're all interested in it. Why wouldn't they want to do that? And they probably would. But, you know, if ESPN has the rights to all these games and then they have to get fees from the cable companies, what they're going to say to the cable company is if you pay us for our ESPN channel, you're going to get all these people subscribing to cable because you're going to be the only place you can get it. Or maybe, you know, DirecTV, there are only two places you can get it. And if suddenly you can pick and pick off the games we want on these multicast things, now I don't need to subscribe to cable. So then maybe cable says to ESPN, I'm not going to bother subscribing to you anymore because you're available in other places or I don't want to pay you nearly what I'm paying you now. And so the exclusivity of the product of the program is often the real valuable thing. And so they're kind of offering up to whoever the distributor is, you're going to be the exclusive person or one of a few people who has this programming. And that's what clashes with our with the viewer who just says, well, just put that one thing on where I want it, mm-hmm. on free broadcast. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to Joe next. Joe? Yeah. I, I was just wanting to comment. I agree with Mary mm-hmm. Catherine and the bill about the choosing your own programming. And I, I think Matt tried to attribute a motive to it uh, by blaming conservatives. But you could equally say, well, only left-wing uh, liberals want to watch uh, – <laughs> Uh, the programs we have now, because they allow those uh, left-wing programs on some of the access stations. But besides all that kind of stuff, um, why not choose your own tier? In other words, you can choose your own 20 channels. Why should somebody else have to select that for you? So you could still have tiered program, but you select the channels you want. So I just wanted I, to read the comments on that. Joe, uh, I, 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 I like that idea, I know. Yeah. Well, it's possible uh, to do that. I mean, it's it's a little bit more expensive than you might think for the cable operators to say just choose any tier you want. And what they actually do, as you can see now, is they bundle packages together and they sell you a lot of packages. And then on the high end, they sell you a few networks individually uh, that are pretty um, – High priced, and um, I think that the actual technology that they would need to just let you pick and choose exactly what you want um, is a little bit beyond them now, but it is doable. But you know, the problem comes back to the same one for them, which is that people would be picking and choosing different networks, and the overall distribution um, universe for those networks will fall and they won't be able to make as much advertising money and uh, two-thirds of their revenues comes from that. You know? So part of it may be they're just kind of scared of that model and, and you could be right. But I think that there's, there's some good-looking economics that kind of holds together uh, you know, what's offered now in, in, in terms of that. But There's a lot of that a moot point anyway as we shift to the Internet. Uh, maybe this whole cable thing is becoming a moot point. Well, there are some people who who say that we will get to a world where it's kind of an internet world where you just pull down what you want when you want it. It's all will all be on demand, and you'll pay for everything in some kind of yeah. units. And this idea of having, you know, a channel or programming that maybe that will go by the wayside. And and it seems like some things are moving in that direction. I mean, uh-huh. broadcast networks are now putting their programs up on the internet, and you can choose to. Um, download them with a commercial and watch them for free when you want, or you can go to an iTunes and pay a buck ninety nine or something and get it without commercials. And so there are all, there are a lot of different distribution um, avenues that are coming along that could very well change the whole you know business model that we operate on right now. Yeah, that's a perfect example. You can download an iTunes song for ninety nine cents. Well, heck, why not just download your favorite uh, Animal Planet show for a buck? Joe, before so, before yeah, I let yeah. you go, I want to ask okay. Matt uh, if he was uh, really blaming the conservatives for all this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let me explain that because let, let me explain because I've been really excited to be in a program where I don't have to talk politics. So this is actually extremely fun for me. But um, if if you go back and look, you know, three or four years ago when the Republicans controlled Congress, the consumers union and some consumer groups said we would love you to pass a law that says we have a la carte, we can choose whatever we want and just pay for the programs we want. And the response kind of was, well, we're in 
into the free market, we think businesses should decide how they want to do it. We're not going to interfere in the economics of that and mandate it. Well, then what happened is a group called the Parents Television Council, who's dedicated to getting what they consider to be unwholesome programming off the air. They file a lot of complaints to the FCC about broadcast programs they think are not fit for children. And and they came in and they said, look, we would like to have a la carte because we want to be able to do economic boycotts. We want to be able to economically punish MTV when they put programs on we think aren't good for society. And we can't do that now because if we want the Disney Channel, we have to buy MTV now. And we can even block it out, which the law lets us do, but we still our quarter still goes to them. Right. So let us do a la carte so we can begin to economically impact the kinds of programming we get. And when they came onto the scene, then suddenly Congress started having hearings on it, at least under the Republicans, and got interested in it. And so that's what I was trying to describe there. Now, I have not... So now that the Democrats have been around for a year, year and a half or so, I don't, I don't really know what their attitude is on this issue yet. Yeah, well, uh, one thing is that, um, you know, blocking individual programs that people don't want, uh, that's not that expensive. And cable companies, um, um, you know, can do that. So like the MTV issue and, and this is, is not that big of a problem to solve. It's not as big as sort of offering anybody anything they want. But one comment about that is that, it's true that as we move to the Internet, for example, distribution and transactions costs uh, go down. And that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that things are bundled together. And so you will see more and more of what we call unbundling of programs, uh, you know, as you move to the Internet. But that advertising issue is a big piece of glue. And uh, advertising has to be effective on the Internet, and that hasn't really been proven in this mm-hmm. context. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of uncertainties of what really is going to happen with things like sports programs in terms of whether they're bundled or not. Yeah, how much was an ad on the Super Bowl? I don't know, millions of dollars. Like, what was it? Yeah. 2.1 or yeah. – it was over $2 million. Yeah. For, for a minute or for 30 yeah, for seconds. 30, or, I think a 30-second 30 second spot yeah. might yeah. not. So that advertising thing yeah. is a big deal. Yeah, it is. Right. All right, Joe. Thanks All a lot right, for the call. Thanks. All right. Thanks. And we have another call, and it's from Mark. Mark? Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. It, it seems to me that this conversation has is, is been a lot about um, what do we do about this symptom and that symptom of a problem rather than, you know, what – really focusing on what the problem is and and uh, somebody several people have said something to the effect of uh, or the use the phrase free market and you know i don't really see where the free market is myself i mean i i really see us talking about a whole variety of different monopolies and how do we Mm -hmm. deal with all these monopolies and you know just because you have two uh wireless providers or two uh, satellite providers doesn't mean you're not working in a monopoly situation and and uh, you know by by my measures you know if they walk like a monopoly if they <laughs> act like a monopoly if they quack like a monopoly they're monopolies and you know they may not meet some legal definition but you know let's get serious here we've got monopolies and you know, if you have a free marketplace, then the free marketplace does basically determine how the best way to do things. But if you have monopolies, then you have to have government regulation. And um, I think, you know, we've had monopolies. We've had phone monopolies here for as long as mo- most of us have been alive. And the phone monopolies have not worked. Um, and the government regulation hasn't worked to prevent uh the misuse of this. And I really think that what we need is we need somebody busting up these monopolies like Teddy Roosevelt did, you know, 100 years ago. Well, you know, we have a free market and we don't have a free market. And I agree a lot with uh, what you say when it comes to offering uh, television programming. Cable cable operators have about a a 60% or 70% share of the market. And so that gives them a lot of clout. And one of the you hardly ever see competing cable companies because there's just not the economics of it. There's huge economies of scale. And what the government has been trying to do for years is uh, get competition at the local market level because I think everybody sees that these problems do tend to disappear. So they've been really working hard. Uh, by their standards, anyway, to try to get. <laughs> <laughs> I totally disagree. I think the government, in the, especially in the last eight years, 
has been working hard to create bigger monopolies. Um, and it, there's not been a merger that's been turned away that, it, in, that I can remember. Mark, you're talking about the federal level, right? I'm not talking about federal level. Yeah. Those, are, those are the people that really sure. you know, have the, the, mm-hmm. the biggest effect on you know, how monopolies get created. Uh, here in Indiana, you know, we, we have some uh, commissions that, that oversee them once they get created, but uh, they've failed us in the past. I really don't think it's that the government is, has ever proven that they manage these things well at all. And I think the only solution is to break them up. Okay. We've we've got about three minutes to go. So, That's an interesting – if you go back to 1996, if you remember in that year, they passed the Telecommunications Act in 1996. And it was a big signing ceremony. And they said from this point forward, there's going to be competition. We want every provider providing – phone companies doing cable, cable doing phone, everyone in everyone else's business. We want everyone in each other's territories. And we want you to have three, four, five, you know, choices for your telecommunications needs. And – and there we had no competition, and, and Ameritech went to be Ameritech SBC, which is now AT&T. Right, and so... we build a monopoly from what was supposed to happen the other direction. You're correct. Since 1996, we went from seven regional Bell operating companies who were broken up from AT&T, which was a big monopoly we decided didn't work, and now they've reconstituted themselves to basically two giant companies, AT&T versus Verizon, which don't compete in each other's areas, really. So it's telephone versus cable. And I think the policymakers in the federal level have kind of given up, and they've essentially decided that if you have a big cable company going at a big um, phone company, that's enough competition for the consumer. There are other people that say we really need smaller companies with some ability to compete. And, and you know, that's a whole other three-hour conversation about how you allocate spectrum and all kinds of things to try to make that happen. Right. We just yeah. need somebody to run who is not going to give up. Yeah. Okay. Just one quick comment, though. I, I think that you got to focus on the local market level, and that's what the government has at least been trying to do, um, which is to get more competition with the local cable companies. Right. Mark, great questions. Thanks a lot for your call. Sure. Matt, if you can, uh, you know, we only have about a minute and a half, but you know that you were on the Telecommunications Commission Council? In, mm-hmm. in Bloomington, right. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there used to be a, a time when the, when the cable companies had to have a franchise. I mean, the government had some control over local cable. What happened? Right. Two years ago, the state legislature, over my objections, I voted against it, um, deregulated and created a statewide system of franchising. So now you go to Indianapolis Utility Commission, you get one franchise for the whole state if you want, and you really don't have any requirements, very limited requirements. In the old days, each community would negotiate an agreement of what was important to them. And the key thing about that is if we were in the old system pre-two years ago, when Comcast came in to take over Insight, in the franchise agreement, the city had the right to approve that transfer. And they could have mm-hmm. said, you know what, Comcast, it's going to be a very long, painful process for us to approve this unless you happen to get Big Ten Network on here very uh-huh. soon. And you would have some government leverage on that or at, when you renew the franchise. Okay. That's a very quick and succinct answer. Thank Good. you very much. We're out of time. It was a, a great program today, and I want to thank Matt Pierce and David Waterman for that, as well as Mary Catherine Carmichael, of course, uh, for our producer Catherine Hageman, for engineer Mike Pashkash, and uh, for the rest of the staff here at WFIU, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Times.